0: you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening thank you for tuning in to dlc your downloadable commentary for the week dlc delivered the way it's meant to be completely free and that's thanks to our sponsors this week Harry's, and 5-4 Club, they made that possible. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Canada, that's with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend-slash-co-host-slash-nemesis, the guy who once again had to watch as Stanky D was shunned at the Grammys,
1: Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, I, if I sound a little stuffed up, it's because I am. I'm oscillating between being freezing cold and and burning hot. I think it's like a I got the evolved fever. You know, I'm transforming. I'm between rounds. Oh, well, that's that's good. Um, down uh, DLC, of course, is your
0: downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, we are excited because dlc stands for video gaming's dean of live ceremonies because we've got the (laughs) producer and host of the game awards as well as bonus round and countless other video game events and programs over the years mr jeff Keeley, welcome jeff
2: hey uh it's great to talk with you jeff uh good to be on on your turf hey christian good to chat with you again it's been a while yeah, man, well, it's awesome doing. to have you. Um, thanks. I think f-
0: first yeah. of all, we need to say congrats on the game awards, man. Wow. You, you, I, by all accounts, including ours, uh, a, a huge success.
2: So congratulations on that. Thanks, guys. It's nice to, uh, nice to get positive comments from everyone. And, uh, yeah, it was fun to go indie, sort of like you guys had, honestly, p- people like you had had proven it out over the years about, you know, Kickstarters and other ways to kind of get uh, engaged directly with the fans. Uh, Yeah. I I decided to do it a little differently last year. And and by all accounts, uh, yeah, I was really happy with, with how it turned out. Great reaction, uh, great buzz and just something I was, I was really proud of. So uh, yeah, uh, thank you for the, the, the kind words and uh, we're going to do it again this year. Yeah. You're already working on next year's show evidently. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, a a show like that is is kind of a year-long process. So, um, you know, last year, there was a lot of drama around kind of was it happening, what form was it going to take, and even the year before when I did the uh, the VGX experiment um, digitally, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something I really care about, so we we certainly think about it all year long. And, you know, sort of the way my year often is structured is like there's this big kind of lead up to E3, which I'm in right now, leading up to June, and then you, you really turn on the jets kind of in July um, through the end of the year. But yeah, definitely the plan is to... Uh, to, to bring it back and, and do it sort of uh, bigger and better. I mean, the, the show last year was really done only in a couple of months. Um, when we finally got kind of all the game companies to agree and say we want to do this. Uh, this sounds great. So it's nice to know with uh, with a year head start, uh, we'll have more time to, to hopefully uh, make an even better show. But it's going to be hard to top. I mean, some of those amazing moments um, are, you know, it, it, it's serendipitous that it all sort of came together like that. And I'm I, it sort of a little little challenged with how how we're going to top some of those moments but uh we we have a year to figure it out so wish me luck <laughs>
1: well in- good luck indeed just Thanks. invite kanye moments topped every day That's i mean it's, it's <laughs> easy <laughs> he is uh, yeah
2: he's he's a life of his own uh, after watching the grammys it's uh, yeah he's he's such a he's a wild guy and i did you see the uh, do you see the interview we did with e after
1: yeah it was insane yeah, yeah. no it's <laughs> it's cra-
2: the, the 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 bummer about it is This is totally off topic, but, um, you know, Beck, I mean, he's, he's a super talented musician and, you know, writes, plays all his instruments and everything like that. And I understand him going after Taylor Swift or something, but I mean, Beck is a, he's a consummate artist too. So, uh, I didn't really get that, but I think one of the things that, that we all
0: appreciated with this year's game awards, uh, is that the show didn't sort of rely on, on, you know, stunts or, or, uh, craziness that it really did take gaming seriously and presented awards that uh, respected the medium and, and also managed to be what the shows you've produced in the past have been also, which is this great showcase for, uh, you know, upcoming titles, stuff we may not have heard about yet, big new trailers. Can you talk a little bit about the balance between
2: those two things? It's kind of a servant of two masters, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the show is unique in that regard, right? And that we, you know, look back at the past and then cast forward looking at, yes, the future and, you know, showing people a new look at Zelda or Metal Gear Solid. Um, and, I, you know, I get a lot of feedback from folks uh, about that balance. And, you know, some people say all we want is a, you know, just an award show. Why do you have to have pre of games um, inside of the show? And, you know, having done this for literally a decade. Uh, I can tell you the reason that's it's done that way is because I think that's what the audience wants. And you look at these sort of excitement and conversation that is generated around, you know, Nintendo showing a new look at Zelda, uh, you know, gamers naturally want to look forward at what's next. And yes, we you know want to appreciate and, and celebrate some of our finest memories, but our culture really, you know, looks forward. So, you know, the, I was at the, the Dice Awards last week in Las Vegas, and that was, you know, a beautiful ceremony for the people in the room. But it didn't really cross over to the mainstream. When I was watching it on Twitch, I mean, it had you know three, four thousand viewers maximum, Um, and you know that's just an award show. There's not a lot of news inside of that show, so it has an audience, and it's very legitimate for the people you know in the crowd and some of those people watching as a stream. But what excites me is getting millions of people to uh, be a part of a ceremony like this because you know you're going to tune in to see the news, kind of like E3. But then also, it's it's great that I can put Ken and Roberta Williams out there in front of yeah. millions of people and celebrate their achievements, and you know that to me is is a is a great sort of trade off. In that, you know, you're going to get all this this big news inside of the show. The publishers want to come and celebrate uh, the industry, but then all, you know these smaller indie games or these tribute moments, uh, you know, you can reach a big mainstream audience, and that's really you know why I I spend my time and invest my even personal resources in doing this stuff is because I want, you know, gaming to be respected uh, by as many people as possible. So, you know, I'm not interested in doing a show for a couple thousand people. I want to do something uh, for millions. And that's why, you know, for many years I worked, uh, you know, in the TV space uh, at Spike doing that. And, you know, certainly it was, uh, you know, a challenge to sort of, uh, you know, do something for a big mainstream audience that uh, stays true to who we are as gamers. But what I learned last year is that you can do a show that is credible, is uh, you know, is for our audience. And gaming is is mainstream now, so you know, millions of gamers can tune in and make it a hit. And there's not this sort of mythical mainstream audience that uh, is going to tune in um, to the show. Uh, it's really the the core gamers that are going to make up uh, the audience, and that's a big enough audience to make the show a big hit.
1: It, here, it, here. Almost, yeah. it almost sounds like you're putting, you're sneaking in. The medicine with some sugar (laughs) where it's like (laughs) there's some cool things you want to do but you know the big reveals are the big action-packed things the things that keep people talking and then it's like you know no one would necessarily tune in for hey here's this awesome legendary developer that doesn't really have his name known his or her name it's almost like the oscars i think sneak in credible indie films getting awards but the only reason people are really watching is not to see if Birdman wins which is a, a phenomenal film but you know didn't do gangbusters at the box office they're watching to see how beautiful the beautiful people look the famous yes. people look when they go to the awards and it's like you're trying to strike the balance of here's this cool thing i want to do but if i do this really cool thing and 10 people see it did the tree fall in the forest
2: <laughs> right no right you're exactly right i mean i i i given that quote before where I say, you know, the Angelina Jolie of these award shows are, you know, the big game announcements, right? That's what people are tuning in for, um, is to see The Legend of Zelda or to see, you know, the reveal of Skyrim or The Last of Us. Um, And those are, you know, big, exciting moments. And, you know, that that inspires me to keep this show going is because developers love it um, as a stage to share what they're working on. And they're really proud. I mean, you know, teams work for months and months to build up to that show um as a a moment so sure it's you know it's a marketing beat but it's also a chance for some of our industry's you know best creators to give you a glimpse of uh, you know where games are going in the future uh but yeah i I agree with you i think you know like i when i put up the youtube promo for the ken and roberta williams tribute where you know got a couple thousand views It's like people aren't naturally going to sort of uh you know, want to see that content unless they're sort of, you know, showing it in the context old. of something bigger. Unless they're old like us. <laughs> I say, right. Well, that's the thing is for me, exactly. And like, you know, there's a whole audience that I'm sure watched, you know, the Sierra tribute at the awards and had no idea. Um, who these guys were, they may have heard, you know, leisure Suit Larry or something like that, but not really understand the impact these people had on on the industry. So the fact that, you know, that can be, you know, people can extract that as one of the best moments of the show. If I just said, Hey, I'm doing a tribute to, you know, Sierra as a standalone show, you're not going to get that kind of audience. So you're right, Christian. It's kind of this, this mixture, this, this mysterious alchemy of sort of news and tributes and awards that all sort of gets, um, you know, put into the pot together. And yeah, I mean, I've said publicly that I think we probably did a few too many um, first looks at games and not enough awards. And, you know, it's 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 a balance trying to do a two hour, or two and a half hour show um, and strike strike it right. I think next year now that we sort of have a strong base, I'd like to do a few more awards, get a few more developers up there um, and maybe, you know, sort of lessen the number reveals, but make them bigger and weightier um, and, and bigger surprises. But yeah, that, that's an Easy problem to solve compared to sort of you know some of the challenges um, we faced in the past with people commenting on kind of the tone of the show and and the way it um, talked to gamers and you know I, I did the the Spike thing for you know close to a decade and uh, you know there were some amazing years there too and uh, you know Spike made some incredible kind of investments in the category and did that show for a long time and you know gave us you know the reveal of Skyrim and the reveal of The Last of Us and a lot of amazing things so. Um, you know, we'll see kind of where this show goes. And that's what's sort of exciting is to think about now um, you know, what is what is year two, what is year three look like. And I don't know if it's, you know, it it, it needs to be a two hour television show anymore. I think, you know, the fact that we streamed it digitally and it got such a huge audience proved that, you know, gamers are are watching this on their phone or on their console. Like when I looked on the, the night of the show on Instagram, uh, you know, most of the photos were of people watching the show on a sixty-five inch TV. They just happen to be streaming it through Twitch on their, you know, Xbox.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me, I mean, I've talked about it on, on this show before, and I, and I don't have a solution for you, Jeff, so <laughs> this is going to be half-baked at best, but it's almost the thing where every other movie award show is, you know, the road to the Oscars. It's kind of like, will this movie triple crown? Will it, you know, you're going through, and yeah, the SAG Awards is big, but no one really cares, no one really cares, and then it's setting the stage for the Oscars. And gaming I don't think we have that. So the game awards, games yep. win game of the year, but there's not the weight to it. Like, is that better than winning dice? Uh, and better, yeah. of course, is in air quotes. And, and I don't know that fix, but I would love to have that weighty, meaty thing where it's like this is... The definitive is award. yeah The award. Yeah, otherwise yeah. it's oh, yeah. like, hey, these people call this their favorite, which is kind of what I've been saying, because you know, why one versus the other?
2: Yeah, no, I think it's a, a great point, and actually one of the reasons I think uh you know so many gamers would be offended by um you know some of the past work that I'd done uh is because we didn't have that anchored show, right? So you know MTV can do the uh you know the MTV movie awards, and the video music awards, and it's just a fun party and it's crazy and, you know, no one really cares that much about the awards, but that's fine because there are the Oscars or there are the Grammys. So these things that really do matter. Um in gaming, I think VGAs for the many years, you know, that was the big high-profile award show. So when, you know, that wasn't nailed, um, I think, you know, people were really disappointed because that was sort of this outward-facing, um, you know, sort of uh, expression of what gaming is all about. Um, you know, I, I think it's a fair point about, you know, all these different awards, which is the one that really matters. Um, you know, I think it's they are a little different in that DICE is like peer-voted, right? So if, you, you know, you could say that DICE is more equivalent to the Academy Awards because it's voted on by peers, right, or the Grammys. So that's you know, a peer-based system. Ours is you know, voted on largely by press and a little bit by fans. Um, so that's more of a, you know, a press awards. Um, and then you know, there's like the GDC awards, they're voted on by peers, BAFTA's voted on by peers. So there are a lot of awards that are kind of voted on by people in the industry and creators. Um, and I've always felt that, similar to the E3 awards that I do, <clears throat> that our awards, because they're early in the year, Um, they are you know voted on by press in in part because you know game companies are not going to share sort of you know their games right before they're released with their competitors um so that's always (laughs) been been a bit of a, a challenge but i it's actually interesting like dragon age won at dice last week it won game of the year for us um so i think you know the right games are getting nominated and in many cases winning i think you know years ago people would have issues with some of those choices i think you know the games that the the press voted on are the are the right games, but I, I hear your point that there's not sort of that one trophy that matters. You know, certainly the the trophy that I worked on with uh, Richard Taylor and went a workshop for the awards that you know to me is you know I'm really proud of that, and I hope that becomes um, you know a definitive uh, trophy for the industry. But I have you know no no hope that it's, you know, the other award shows go away. I mean, I think the more we can do to to recognize, you know, great content in our industry, the better. Um, but I, I hear you. It's like, And, you know, in some ways, what that ultimate award is going to be will, I think, just evolve over time. And hopefully, they're all meaningful. And, you know, one eventually will will hopefully rise to the top. And, you know, some developers will tell me, your award matters the most, because it's the press that votes on it, or it's the first award of the year. And, you know, it's in December, so it really helps, you know, drive sales and acceptance of our games. Other people will say, hey, what matters to me most is, you know, these peer reports. So it's really, you know, it's, it's a different; they're different awards. But I agree with you that you know one has not risen to the top, and I think it's 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 evolution, baby. Let's just let's see what happens. <laughs> well,
0: kudos again. Uh, we're anxious to watch uh, how the show evolves, and uh, you know the, the fact that it's focused on the people, it's focused on on celebrating the games. It's great to see you have gone independent with it and uh, unshackled by other influences. It, it's 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 great. So kudos. Thanks, um, you guys. I really appreciate. It. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move on now, though, to the way we start the show usually, which is Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. King. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of gaming this week. Uh, this week was the aforementioned DICE Summit, which, uh, Jeff, I know you were at, uh, in Vegas there, Las Vegas. Um, yes. but, you have free reign to select your story of the week. Of course, listeners of the show can submit their own stories for consideration by using our hashtag. That's uh DLC S O T W or by visiting our subreddit at five by five DLC
2: So Jeff, what is your pick for story of the week? Well, there are a lot of interesting things that happened at Dyson. I'm sure we'll get into, but I think, you know, probably the the biggest news came, I don't know, was Thursday or Friday with this, uh, News that Netflix might be doing a, uh, a Legend of Zelda live-action series, which, uh, you know, was was kind of shocking news on a, a number of levels, I think, for all of us in the game industry, but also, like, really, really exciting. And I think it was, you know, I'm interested sure to get a take from you guys on it, but, you know, to me, being a, a lifelong Nintendo fan, I think, you know, hearing of something like that, I think just, you know, inspires so much in your imaginations about, like, oh, my God, what what could this look like? But, you know, there's also the fear, obviously, of, you know, what would this be like? Would it be like the old Super Mario Brothers movie or, you know, right. is this the right uh, partnership? So that was, you know, sort of the big headline news, I think, for me last week hearing that. But then yeah. also knowing that, you know, who knows how real it is. And, you know, I, I still thought back to, uh, you know, Microsoft announcing, I don't know, it was like two years ago that they were doing a Halo series with Steven Spielberg. And right. you know, we've heard nothing about it since then. So you guys know kind of the, the world of Hollywood and how uh, how these things happen. but. To, to even hear that there was a glimmer of hope for something like that to happen was, was, was pretty cool. Yeah, this was a huge story submitted by a bunch of people,
0: including uh, at Logan R Sharp and Dave Petro. And uh, it was reported by none less than the Wall Street Journal, although they did yeah. cite an unnamed source. So uh, as you said, Jeff, certainly not. A done deal by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I think the the wild success of Game of Thrones has really changed the playing field and a lot of these properties that were considered too out there and bizarre uh, now are very much mainstream fodder and we have a lot of i think confidence in in taking these seriously and not having to do what was done to the Super Mario Brothers franchise for the film in kind of reimagining it i think an authentic telling of some of these uh game properties or fantastic uh, book properties can work uh, as we've seen. Um, I'm a little worried about this personally, although Netflix does great stuff and certainly will put a budget into it that is commensurate to creating a top-notch program. Uh,
1: Christian, what's your take on on Zelda as a TV, live-action TV series? Well, I'm just concerned because apparently the unnamed source is Brian Williams. So, we know... <laughs> you know Liar! <laughs> I mean, I... I I think at this point, there's no reason not to be excited other than my general skepticism of things that don't exist. I mean, Netflix, the Daredevil teaser trailer looks incredible. The new, oh man, was it, ta- it takes place in Florida and has Coach Taylor in it. They just released the trailer for that show they're doing. Hmm, name not coming to me. Looks incredible. I mean, Orange is the New Black. and they, They're putting out quality content. And Zelda's one of my favorite worlds um, of all time. The thing that makes me... Most skeptical of this though is this seems really forward thinking for Nintendo to be partnering with Netflix. I mean Nintendo, yeah, they have their amiibo, but I mean those that that they're not getting enough out in stores. Like everything Nintendo does seems like we get what you're trying to do, but you're not really doing it. <laughs> and like a Zelda live action Netflix series, I don't know who in Nintendo would think to do that. It doesn't seem like well, that.
0: I'm sure that somebody walked into the door with a big check and said hey nintendo you interested and they went
2: yeah maybe possibly um yeah i mean you never like i you know i worked with nintendo on the uh the game awards and we did that cool thing with imagine dragons and koji kondo and that was the kind of thing that you know i thought would would never happen right Mm -hmm. and it was like so amazing to see like you know contemporaries of fans of mr kondo and like when i told imagine dragons that, hey, you know, Mr. Kondo is actually a fan, might want to work with you. Like, they were freaked out. And I just think, you know, (laughs) there's something magical about Nintendo, as you said, Christian, that was like, that was unbelievable to me, that Koji Kondo was going to fly over from Las Vegas and play with Imagine Dragons. So, you know, it's Nintendo, I think, you know, Mr. Wada has publicly said that, uh, you know, I think they want to get a little more aggressive with thinking about, you know, licensing and working with sort of other partners. And I remember he said that quote, I was maybe a year ago, and no one really quite knew what that meant. Um, so maybe something like this is, you know, one possibility, but I, I agree with you. There's a lot of questions around, you know, even fans have said to me, it's like, well, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not talking in Zelda. So it's like, how do you kind of add lore on top of it? And, well, let me you know, ask I, you, that. let asked, me ask you directly then, Jeff, how do you, when you close your eyes and imagine the
0: perfect live action Zelda series, what do you see? How does it work?
2: Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a good question. I think, you know, the game of Thrones reference certainly, you know, is, is a very shorthand way to describe it, but. You know, how violent is it, right? I mean, it's like, you know, Game of Thrones for families, I think was the quote in the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, I I wonder, should it be live action? Should it be CG? I mean, you know, there's amazing stuff people can do with sort of, you know, uh, great CG. So it's like, could that work? Like, I don't know if you've seen the the Pikmin shorts that I think Miyamoto did in Japan. But those are really cool. And I'm like, would that work for Zelda? So, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's just you know, I, for years I've always asked Miyamoto, like, well, what about adding you know voices to Zelda? Like, I mean, right. we look at this new Zelda that we had at the Game Awards. Would that be cool with like you know full you know full voiceover and big cutscenes? I mean, is that what people want? Do they want you know Zelda, Lord of the Rings? Um, and you'll find probably some people that would say absolutely, like that would be so amazing. Um, and other people that would say, like, no, I mean, Nintendo, is there's something magical about the, uh, you know, this safe kind of world and universe that Nintendo's created? And I don't want it to be like every other game out there. And that's, I think, the, the challenge, you know, anyone would face in kind of adapting this to the, to TV. It's like you don't want it to just feel like Lord of the Rings, but with, you know, the Zelda world layered over it. Right. Um, and I actually, I don't know. I mean, it's a really hard problem to solve and is it you know uh, a main zelda storyline is it a side story you saw like you know microsoft played last year with nightfall and the idea of this kind of prequel that will lead up to halo 5 yeah and it's like you know is it better to is it tied to a certain part of the fiction or is it just something set in the world with new characters i don't know i mean i think you know the the retelling of of any of the zelda stories is difficult because i think a lot of those games you know you create the world in your head yeah. Versus Nintendo, sort of really, you know, you know, having these famous lines of dialogue or whatever that you remember. So whoever you know takes on this challenge, I think is going to have to sort of create a a, a lot inside that world, and that is, you know, it's, it's difficult because it's going to be subject to uh, interpretation. I mean, it's like you know, imagine the Legend of Zelda. Like if they're going to do that, like what what is yeah, you know, what is that even in your head? I mean, to me, it's you know, it's this magical world that uh, you know has incredible characters and an incredible sense of adventure but uh, you know creating even like the battle sequences and things like mm-hmm. that how how realistic is it is it fun that's why i think the cg angle is interesting because it could be a little more abstract i wonder when you get to full live action it's like you know i, I don't know maybe it would be fantastic to have you know lord of the rings but in the Zelda universe. But is that, is that Zelda? I don't know. For some people, it probably is. Well, I I worry a little bit about the
0: Game of Thrones slash Lord of the Rings reference, because I think it's a double-edged sword uh, in the sense that, yes, you want that feeling of authenticity. You want that feeling that this world could actually exist. And that's always the tantalizing bit when you're a a video game player and and you hear about one of these games going to the big screen or going to the small screen in this case, is the idea of something that I've seen virtualized made to look like it was actually a real place. That's the exciting part. But the other edge of that sword is this sort of self-serious, doer, kind of overly wrought darkness that seems to pervade a lot of these properties. Specifically in those two properties, there's this level of darkness that I just don't think fits with Zelda. And, you know, yes, they said... Game of Thrones for families. I hope they lean heavily on the families. For, for my money, I think the way this would be most exciting, and I tweeted this out this week, is cast Link young, like Mm -hmm. 10 or 12 years old, and have it be this sort of adventure story of this young boy venturing out, and yeah, he's fighting with a wooden sword for a lot of the show. You know, he's smacking things, and have it really be fantastical. I think, having it feel more like the film version of where the wild things are, where it's, you're like mm. sort of in this young boys experience of, yeah. the, of the world. I think that could really work, but I don't know.
1: Um, what's your take, Christian? It's, it's a fine line. If they pull it off, everyone will be um, cheering them all as geniuses. I I think, you know, some other examples people were saying it would be called high rule and talk about, a world before link is tapped, right? I mean there's a whole world with bad stuff happening in it in every, well, I think every I haven't played every single one, I didn't play the Oracle of Seasons games. Um but there's this whole world where there are warriors, there are other people with swords, there's a blacksmith that lives in this world and is making weapons before while Link is just a a stable hand or a a blacksmith's apprentice or whatever. So I think there is a route where they could do a Gotham-esque approach. I hope, I mean, that to me gets scary because then it's like, how many winks are they doing at, you know, you're going to be the one, you're going to be the one, like a young Bruce Wayne or a young Link or whatever. But I think that's where it becomes difficult. What I would like to see is a, if you want to get it away from all that, I want to focus on Ganon. who is he where is he what is he
2: (laughs) The Ganon years
1: (laughs) i'm I'm dead serious that
2: thing is there's so many of these characters you know there's there's so much backstory and it's like just to think of you know as you said like what are their stories um and you know a lot of i think you know i don't know you'd have to ask nintendo but i would think a lot of this stuff isn't really fully developed it's you know it's not like there's this you know story bible like when you go to uh You know, Microsoft on Halo, it's like there's this huge canon. And it's like, I actually don't know. It'd be fascinating to see sort of what's there in the world. Um, But yeah, as you said, if you can explore characters, their their backstories, and, you know, working with Nintendo and a writer or whatever, I think fans will go absolutely crazy for that, um, to define the fiction in some way. But yeah, it's, it's one of these things that people will debate uh you know like we are for you know for years and it'll be interesting and to then see, it'll like... probably not even happen <laughs> <laughs> well I mean, exactly and you never know with this stuff i mean as i said the the halo example is a great one that yeah. it's just like you know for years and years they've been talking about it and then even there was that you know that nightfall series last fall which i only what did you guys watch that yeah i went to the premiere event and watched the first what was it five of them i think um. Yeah, there were. I think. Yeah, there were five toys that showed one or two at the premiere. Uh, I only yeah. watched the first one, but it felt like people weren't weren't that into it. Right. Ultimately.
0: Yeah, I I was certainly not. I'm super impressed with it. I appreciated mm-hmm. what they were trying to do, but it didn't really seem to live in a. But but you know that I think even you can't compare to a Netflix production, right? Cause even, even with the amount of resources they put into that,
2: it will probably pale in comparison to what a Netflix kind of is. I don't know. I mean, would. that was, that was like, I did the panel with them at Comic-Con. I mean, that was like Ridley Scott. I mean, that was, you know, yeah, I think that's true. Like, you know, like eight, I mean, that was an eight figure budget. I mean, I think they, that definitely, I again, yes, I agree with you, but it's like, you know, I don't know, like HBO, if it was HBO, I would agree uh netflix i think does good stuff i mean house of cards looks good and everything like that but uh you know they're this trying is not to be a, hbo you know so
1: well this i think is netflix not, you know, is trying to like, be hbo
2: <laughs> well it's not you know like a warner brothers movie or something right i mean right, that's where if right. you want to get to that level of production so i don't, I don't know yeah it's, it's it's fascinating i just think all this stuff people are exploring it you know assassin's creed they're supposed to be doing a movie it's like you know there's there's lots that's always talked about it's mm. hard to get think of an example of a video game thing that's done right, and my my only hope with this, whether it happens or not, is that you know everyone's very deliberate and careful with it, because as we've seen with video game movies, it's like well you know one bad one comes out and it sets everything back, and then it's yeah. like well video game movies don't work. It's sort of like what, honestly what I went through with video game television. It just sort yeah. of like over these years, it's like you know when it's not done right, then everyone else is like well we don't want to touch it. So it's like hopefully. You know, Zelda would be an amazing first, you know, choice. But I also, well, I I wonder, is that the best one for Netflix to do? Or is it sort of like they should prove out the model with another game franchise and then they get to sort of, you know, ascend Mm -hmm. to get to touch Zelda? Yeah, you're not allowed Um, to touch the the Zelda yet. You have to build the Triforce. Right, because I mean, imagine, you know, they were doing, you know, they were doing the Skyrim one or something, right? It's like people would still go crazy with that, right? And that's at least a little bit more to build on. It's like, you know, maybe get Skyrim right and then you can move on (laughs) to build something. So I don't know. It's uh, all these worlds we love so much. um, And I love the idea of people uh, creating more lore around them. Um, And I hope, you know, live action is part of it, but I also think there's tons that people could do with CG and animation. Like whenever I see the the stuff that blur, Uh, the CG house does, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they do stuff for us in the video game awards and also do these amazing, you know, short films like for those Batman trailers. And you look at that. I'm like, yeah, I'd watch, I'd watch a series like that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, It's going to be interesting to see also how the, the world
0: of Warcraft film changes things, but uh, let's move on. Uh, Christian, what is
1: your story of the week? Last Quick piece of on this, and I just had the idea, it just popped into my head. What if they did something akin to the Animatrix where it was nine distinct little things all set in the world but not necessarily telling yeah. you know a consecutive story? I think that could be interesting. For me, while the Zelda TV series is huge, the story of the week for me, and I think it trumps Zelda TV rumors, is uh, OMG Persona five trailer style 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 that trailer was just saying swag 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 the whole it looks awesome are you kidding me incredible
0: yes uh i still have the persona games on my pile of shame i am some of the one of those people that uh, i tweeted this out this week and people were like why have you not played any of the persona games i uh, i'm shamed into saying that i have not played any persona games but this trailer certainly makes me excited for persona 5 Dripping with style, as you said. Uh, looks like it's gonna have sort of an Ocean's Eleven kind of take, but what a great way to debut your game. What a cool, different take on a debut trailer.
2: Uh, Jeff, what did you think of this? Yeah, I think Persona is one of those franchises that, you know, is certainly. Very core franchise, but what I liked about it, is, and you know, this is partially the challenge that Japanese games have, is how do you build something that really can speak to kind of a wider audience? And when you know that trailer, what I love about it is the the fidelity of it. I just had no idea that you know the, the level of animation that they were going to be able to sort of put inside of it. I mean, it, it looked really appealing not only to fans of Persona but to a wider audience. And that you know, Atlas their games are it's a great example of a franchise that you know if you know. The franchise, and if you have friends that play it, you play it, but otherwise, it just it doesn't enter your radar map. And when I saw that trailer, it was just so wacky and just sort of out there and, and full of kind of fun that I think anyone looks at it, which even like, you know, when they were going through the menus, just the way that it sort of yeah. you know, transitioned between things, you're like, wow, this looks really kind of, you know, new and different and fun and, uh, you know, and, and even visually looked, uh, you know, really impressive. So, no, it was one of those ones that I, I actually didn't know what to expect. Um, From that game, and it certainly had been, you know, rumored for a while that they were doing it. There was a trailer, I think, last year, sort of more of a teaser. And then the the first gameplay trailer, I was like, that looks like something just, you know, really out there. It reminded me a lot of, you know, the stuff that, like, Platinum Games has been doing, which is sort of really kind of just over-the-top fun. Um, When I saw that, I was just like, wow, the entire world just came to life. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Gru here in the chat said he loved the music
0: in it so much. I would agree with that as well. Fantastic music. Just it, it, it goes to show how much, uh, if you do something different and original and really, uh, <laughs> commit to it, it'll stand out. It'll stand out. Uh, Christian, you are Mr. Vita. Did you not play Persona 5 Golden on the Vita?
1: Persona 4. No, I, yeah, it, 4, it's fantastic. Me. It's, it's fantastic parts of it it is and of course it is i mean it's japanesey i mean that with all respect but it's odd and weird and simulating different parts of things so parts of the game i did not complete it it's a beast of a game and but i've had a really good time with it for me some of the controls being clunky isn't quite the right word it's the you do so many things in it so many different types of gameplay mechanics in it and they're not even mini games per se. It's just the whole game is such a diverse type of gameplay that I found because I was playing it on my Vita mostly when I traveled. I would put it down and then come back to it the next time I went out of town, and then just kind of be like, "Wait, what? Uh, this uh, I don't know." And so I just never dove back into it. But you see that trailer for Persona Five, and you better believe the first thing I did is plug my Vita in. <laughs> yeah, <I> me <mean, laughs> too. Get it charged too. up.
0: Uh, I will get to my story of the week momentarily, but first we have to thank. Our sponsor, Harry's. Uh, If you're a dude listening to this show, chances are you shave and chances are you've had a negative experience with shaving, overpaying for drugstore razor blades, having to wait while the dude walks over and unlocks the case and you got to get your bit. And you don't even know which one to buy half the time. It's just a pain and it's not worth your time. Harry's is here to help. Switch to Harry's. You'll get high quality German engineered blades that are crafted for sharpness and precision. They're half the price of big name drugstore brands. And they give you free shipping straight to your door. This is a company started by a couple of guys who are passionate about fixing this problem and creating a better shaving experience. It's. They have a, their own factory in Germany. They've created some of the world's best blades and they ship them to you. Uh, both Christian and I have gotten some. They're really cool. It comes in this stylized box that kind of feels like you're opening a cool Apple product or something. All of the, uh, the shaving creams and gels that, that you can order are really high quality. They smell great. They make you feel fresh and clean after you've done shaving. It's great stuff. And the best part is because you listen to this show, we're going to give you five bucks off your, your first purchase at Harry's. So if you use our promo code, which is DLC, you go to Harry's.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Put in our promo code DLC. You'll get $5 off your first purchase. And after using the code, you can get an entire month's worth of shaving for just 10 bucks. Plus it supports the show, lets them know that sponsoring us was a good idea. And that's good for everybody. So cut out the middleman. Get yourself good shaving equipment at harrys.com. Use that promo code DLC, and we'll hook you up with five bucks off. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, all right, so you guys picked two of my favorite stories this week already, uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about DICE. We talked about the awards already, a Dragon Age-winning Game of the Year, although really Shadow of Mordor was kind of doing a clean sweep up until that point, yes. uh, which is really interesting that Dragon Age got the Game of the Year nod. Uh, the nominees for game of the year were destiny shadow of Mordor far cry four and hearthstone. Uh, I would argue that the game that's going to have the most long lasting impact on the industry and is going to be around the longest is hearthstone. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, very much love the new dragon age. I think it is a worthy game of the year for sure. Um, but, uh, but it's cool to see, uh, to see dice summit and see so many of these really interesting stories. This is a conference, a, a, an event that isn't built around debuting anything. It isn't uh, a news source. It's, it's really for developers to get together and discuss sort of trends in games and, and really make presentations to one another. Jeff, you were there. Um,
2: uh-huh. What was, yeah. what was your feeling? How, were there any great talks that you saw? What was your uh, imp- yeah. um, impression. depression. Uh, we did a uh, we, we shot a bonus round out there, which is is up on uh, game trailers now. And yeah, Dice have been going to for a decade, and it, it really is, as you said, Jeff. Uh, it's for people in the industry. It's the closest thing you know our industry has to uh, you know, sort of a TED like experience, um, where it's a bunch of creators coming together. It's maybe only two or three hundred people. Um, and all the top creative people in the industry just coming to talk about kind of issues and, and topics, um, that, that, that matter to us. Uh, so yeah, the awards were good. Um, you know, I, I was there, you're right. Shadow of um, looked like it was going to win everything. And then Dragon Age sort of crept in at the end for, uh, for game of the year. But, uh, you know, I heard there were Dabber. audible
0: gasps when it, when it won. Yeah.
2: Well, cause it was, yeah, it was one of those things that, uh, Mortar kept winning all night. And I don't, I don't, I can't remember if Dragon Age was even up on stage. Um, all night, and then finally it won game of the year. And you know, it's always just so hard to predict that stuff because sometimes you know, people on peer panels might say, Oh, well, we gave so many, you know, I voted a lot for Shadow of Mordor, so maybe I'll give this to Dragon Age. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and it was you know, good group of nominees, very similar to uh, our awards. I think the only difference was that we had Bayonetta um, up for game of the year versus Destiny. Um, but yeah, you know, similar group. And uh, yeah, I agree with you on Hearthstone, that's one of those games that. I think, uh, you know, it's only going to get bigger this year when you think of, uh, you know, it coming to phones. And the thing yeah. is that they've done this all on PC and iPad and to think that it's going to be able to, you know, uh, you know Android and I- iOS phones, I think it's going to blow up. And it was probably a little too radical for anyone to give it game of the year. Um, but it's like, it, it definitely probably is the game that will have the most impact. But anyways, uh, talk-wise, yeah, there were there were a lot of, you know, interesting talks, um, at dice, you know, unfortunately there weren't a lot of the talks that I love the most, which is people outside the industry coming in to talk and and collaborate with people in the industry. Obviously the the high point was a couple of years ago when JJ Abrams and Mm -hmm. Gabe Newell were on stage together talking about the differences in storytelling. Um, talking about another Hollywood um, project that
0: hasn't happened yet.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. They were supposed to be doing what the portal movie or something or who knows what happens. Um, But, anyways, yeah, it was a little, uh, it it was unfortunate there weren't a lot of those talks, but there were some good ones. Um, Tracy Fullerton from uh, USC, who's the director of USC Games, she was on the bonus round and she gave a a really good talk about sort of the idea of, you know, who is a gamer. And that's something that has certainly been, you know, debated ad infinitum over the past year. But, you know, hopefully reaching this point where we're all gamers. Um, and that's one thing that, you know, I, I have said over the years is like, there's going to be a day when, you know, the president of the United States has a console in the office or has a gamer tag. And, you know, we all grew up in this age where we, you know, we started playing games when we were kids and that was, you know, we take for granted, um, the way things are, but you know, there's a generation older than us that just never really got exposed to games. And as more and more people grow up, um, as they have kids and kids start playing on iPhones and iPads. Um, you know, everyone's going to be a gamer. You don't ever say like, well, I'm a film watcher.
0: Yeah, and, right. You just you know, take it it's just taken for like, granted. You
2: know, exactly. It's like everyone watches movies. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a really sort of inspiring talk. And, you know, to hear her talk about the students that now come into the USC games program. And they have a you know, number one ranked program. I, I went to USC. It's a great school. Um, you know, Tracy's talking about these kids who are you know, 18 years old. They come in and they want to make games. And they also you know, they don't just want to make first-person shooters. They don't want to make RCS games. I mean, they're coming in with radical uh, you know, ideas that are you know, pro-social issues that they want to address through games and, and explore sort of a wide gamut. She was saying that half the people that are coming into the game program now are women. And that's, that's so great because yeah. it's uh, you know a situation now where most of the people when I go around to game developers it's still you know largely a a male dominated uh, industry on the development side but that's starting to change so it was just encouraging to kind of hear about these younger generations um, because you know it's it, I started out writing about games when I was you know thirteen fourteen years old I was a me teen. too yeah. and yeah and it's just amazing now it's like it, it's it's kind of crazy when you think of you know here we are in our mid thirties now kind of talking about games and there's, you know, just this YouTube generation, all these, you know, generation Z, these people who are playing games. It's like, how, how is this world going to shift? And it was just encouraging to hear that, you know, gaming is, it's a really cool thing. And, you know, to think I could go back to USC in 20 years and they will have like a big video game program. And that will be like a legitimate course of study. Um, yeah. it's a long way from, you know, when I applied to college and I remember I put on my application that I, uh, You know, I, I, I love playing CD-ROM games and the admissions officer called (laughs) up and said to me, it's like, what's a CD-ROM? We never heard of (laughs) it. Wow.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, this is definitely one of my favorite talks in, in reading about, uh, dice over the weekend. Um, and i loved seeing tracy fullerton on bonus round it was great that you got her on but th- this talk was so fascinating she talks about um, moving in moving toward an age of play you know so we're sort yeah. of in the information age now and and there will be this age of play where not only is everyone a gamer but gaming in and of itself it will be permeating into other areas of life. So it won't be just an entertainment medium anymore. And I think really what she's talking about is interactivity when she says gaming. And, and I think that interactivity, I've said for a long time that, you know, it's, it's pretty evident the easiest, best way to learn something is to be inside the system, right? And when you're interactive, when you're inside a game, you know, stuff like Sim City, for example, there isn't a better way to understand the sort of causal relationships between where I put a road and, you know, sanitation and all those things, being inside the system and having to actually physically manipulate it and and learn uh, you know, how one thing impacts another, that is a huge both learning tool and uh And entertainment. So it it will bridge this gap and cease to become, at least in her view, a purely entertainment medium and become this thing that really anybody in any field is going to want to have some sort of gaming development background in order to be accomplished in their field. I think that is a pretty radical, interesting perspective as well
2: yeah no and that was what was exciting is that you know she's inside of an educational institution that has students from you know across different fields wanting to be a part of games and and proving that yeah the thinking that uh, you know goes through playing these games especially you know strategy games and whatnot i mean you know people joke about you know pe- people spending as much time as they do playing something like league of legends but i mean the uh, you know the strategy that goes into thinking about that and and resource management and everything i mean it's really uh, it's powerful and constructive, and uh, I I hope, as a society, we're moving away from, you know, the idea of uh, games being bad for you, and I think, you know, that, I I think, you know, now it feels like the debate more is about our games, uh, you know, too close-minded about sort of the themes they attack and things like that, versus like, you know, there's too much violence in this game, or this game has a theme which is, you know, should be shielded from, you know, society. I, I think we move past that, and yeah, my hope is that we're going to see you know games uh being a, a real positive influence and and I think we're seeing it with you know kids now I mean playing on their iPad and iPhone I mean it's 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 rare yeah. you see a kid now who's uh you know 5 years or older that doesn't have some type of screen to interact with right yeah and and you know you and I
0: and, and Christian as well we grew up in a time where if you were a gamer it pretty much meant you had you played everything and we're yeah. Now at a point where there is so much, there's so much being developed, so many games, and so much in such a broad spectrum that it almost becomes like, you know, I, I'm I'm a I like cars, but I have a very specific type of car that i like you know i I don't drive all cars there's there's you know the minivan for the moms and there's the you know the suv for certain there's the jeep and the off-road view so there's these it's a much broader medium that is can be specialized and we can have these you know these subgroups these sub hobbies that we can all be into but gaming as a whole becomes this grander much more broad
2: mainstream medium right and that's that's what's true Tracy's point, I think, is that you know, we, we look at other types of games, and even if they're not for us, they're still valid. And you know, right. I look at people that play Candy Crush or people that, uh, you know, kids that play games. I mean, that's, uh, there's a whole world there that you know, doesn't compete with uh, who I am as a gamer. It's just right. great to think that you know, people will start playing one type of game, maybe graduate to another type. But yeah, there's, as you said, there's so much diversity out there. Um, I think it's really encouraging. And you know, yes, you know, Dragon Age or Persona has a uh, you know a core base of people that will love that game, but just because someone plays a different type of game doesn't mean that you know uh, you know we are less less gamers because we play right. a certain type of game
1: uh, Christian, I, I you want to weigh in on this yeah i mean i I well, tend to agree with a lot of what you guys are saying only because we are deep in that field. I mean here we are our monday morning slash early afternoon. Talking uh, over the internet to each other about games and having a intellectual discussion about games and gaming. At the same time, I don't think the term gamer or that persona will necessarily go away, despite these people's grand ambitions. Yes, I think you'll see the game of gamification or whatever game systems implemented into other things as people grow up with it and learn it and you know use these these tool sets. But you still have film buffs or. Um, Marvel zombies or you know muscle car yeah everyone you can be a car guy or whatever and two Jeff I mean I'm I'm five years out from a minivan it's going to be Dad's minivan <laughs> five years oh. is
0: five years is is grandly out <laughs> out uh, estimated you're you it's yeah, going to be like it's six months
1: that's true Amanda's due uh, on around Mother's Day hello minivan for Father's Day um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't I think you still will have this core gamer or whatever it is just like you have yeah everybody goes to the movies but not everybody would consider themselves a a film cinephile buff or, yeah yeah right. exactly or they don't line up to go to movies on opening day or whatever so i don't think we'll get away from gamer i just think like, even today, Amanda, my wife, probably plays more games per hour in the week than I do because she goes to bed and plays threes or whatever, you know, before she falls asleep every single night. But she doesn't consider herself a gamer. So I think people are trying to be overbroad and overly romantic about, in the future, we'll all have flying cars and everyone will game. No, not in the way that we define it. I don't think that's going to change.
0: Uh, another story I wanted to bring up and get, get your take on, Jeff. Uh, and this kind of leads right from what we were talking about, about how mainstream gaming is, uh, is, uh, the re- earnings report from Activision. Wow. They made a lot of money. Another $4 billion a year, uh, with, uh, over 800 million, 850 million in revenue. Uh, and that's on the back of, Obviously, Call of Duty is their is their workhorse, but Destiny and Hearthstone this year were, were big uh, blips for them, pulling in record numbers, uh, which is I think encouraging in the sense that both of those are new IP in a lot of ways. I mean, I guess you could ar- argue Hearthstone is a, a WoW joint and Destiny is a Halo joint in a certain respect, but for the most part, new IP. Um, do you look at this kind of crushing gain that that? Activision is pulling in as a positive for the industry, or do you worry about it kind of entrenching them in a certain type of release year after year?
2: Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, Activision did a pretty good job last year, um, as you as you mentioned. And, you know, it's really Activision Blizzard, right? I mean, when you right. think of you know Blizzard really contributing a lot to that as well. Um, yeah, I think Hearthstone is probably one of the better business success stories for the mainstream publishers, especially as so much of the the gaming market moves towards mobile and i'm a firm believer that you know two or three years from now you're probably going to have your you know your iphone your ipad air playing your game your tv with a bluetooth controller and it's like you know the fidelity of those games is getting so good that uh, that'll be possible and hearthstone is a game that doesn't even really need you know the full horsepower probably of an ipad um to do what it does but regardless i think activision you know they've they have a very sort of predictable release schedule but then you know they do Things like I saw at the Game Awards, like the King's Quest remake, like that's coming from Activision, right. and it's like something you wouldn't expect. They sort of relaunched the Sierra label, so I think they are trying to to do some different stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you know their playbook. There's going to be a new Call of Duty every year. Destiny is going to sort of you know continue to expand. Uh, you know, the Skylanders is big. I mean, those are the the big three anchors and Blizzard. So you know, is that a bad thing for the industry? No. Um, you know, I think the the challenge always with these companies that deliver the same games every year is like, you know, how much innovation will we see sort of within that actual year? Um, and you know, call of duty last year was, I think a, you know, a pretty good effort, um, that sledgehammer did with advanced warfare that I think surprised people after call of duty ghosts, which, you know, people were, were not really that happy with. And I wasn't either. Um, so I think, you know, it really comes down to like how much innovation can they put inside of those products? And I think it was a good year for call of duty destiny, you know, probably one of the games that, that our industry as a whole is, is sort of most conflicted about. You know, I have tons of friends that uh, you know, continue to play that game um, and you know, sort of uh, don't necessarily love it, but they keep playing it. Um, <laughs> nice. And it's going to be interesting to see. You know, my, my, my time with the, the game has sort of come and gone, and I feel like, you know, will they bring people back this year, this fall? Um, you know, They were very careful in the earnings call so not to se- say a sequel was coming out this fall. They sort of said a major content release. So it'll be interesting to see, is it a $60 game they're bringing out at the end of the year? Is it just an expansion pack or sort of how they frame that? Because I think Destiny is the game that they probably have the, the most challenges with in sort of figuring out what does that look like on a go-forward basis when they still have, I think, a lot to fix. Um, certainly with, you know, the story and the world and the game. Uh, but yeah, Activision overall, I think, is, you know it's a predictable company, but they seem to be doing pretty good. And, you know, I think the idea of them being this sort of, uh, you know, big bad company, I think is sort of, you know, passed by the wayside. When you look at, you know, the company that I think most gamers love to sort of, uh, cast dispersions towards right now is Ubisoft after mm-hmm. looking at what happened with Assassin's Creed last fall and things like that. So, uh, you know, th- th- it's, it's sort of a, uh, a merry-go-round of which, which, which large game company will be hated every year. It was EA yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, Activision, EA, is, so, EA yeah. is
0: sitting there going, I'm so glad nobody's mad at us right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's partially because they didn't really ship a game. Because, right. um, you know, they, right. they passed on on Hardline and moved it to this year. So, yeah, I think, you know, Activision's got a really good business, and I hope they use some of that money to invest in, in new different things. And King's Quest was a great example to me of something that you would not expect to come from Activision, but it is. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Christian,
1: what's your take? It's You want to see them do, and I imagine we're going to talk about this for what people are playing, you want to see them do Grow Home and things like that, right? Yeah, make all your money on your big hits, and then when a company like Ubisoft comes out and releases something indie or awesome or darling or you know valiant hearts or something like that you're like oh yeah they're they're giving back it's kind of like when again to do a movie analogy in movie studios they have their big tent poles their big summer action flicks and then they make their stuff that they think is interesting and provocative and pushes the medium forward and so hopefully you'll see activision do that and i do think the sierra imprint is one where they're going to try doing that and at At the same time, more power to them because we are the ones buying all of these games. You're right, like no one is making you buy Call of Duty every year, but they keep making a really, really good game. Yes, there's Call of Duty fatigue, but man, those games are polished. The online works. Yes, there. I had some glitches, and I (laughs) went through that experience on this show already, but all said, every year they release a game that is top tier when other companies release a game every three years that, are oftentimes broken. So kudos to them for for raking in that dough. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, as I said uh,
0: in introducing the story, I, I'm so encouraged that while these are known, there are aspects about these these properties that are known. It's really exciting that Destiny, uh, it, which is a new IP, and Hearthstone, which is, you know, is really this kind of side project that wasn't expected to do much and is is in its own way a really different kind of sell to, to core gamers. Uh, I mean, it's very much is a tabletop game. It's a tabletop trading card game that uh, no one expected to be great uh, on digital and is hugely successful, hugely popular. And I think as we were talking about, when we were talking about the awards, I think it's going to have a huge footprint going forward in the industry. And so I, I find it hard to criticize any company that has that much success with those kinds of games uh, you know, going forward. Yeah. Keep, keep churning out the call of duties. If people want to play them, I'm, I'm certainly one of those people that took a year off this year from call of duty. I'm I really kind of feel like I've been there, done that. But uh if, if the audience still clamors for it, deliver it, as long as you also deliver these other kinds of experiences and, and be a little risky, um, then, you know, then I'm all for it and, and kudos to them and make, make sure that, uh you know, this industry keeps growing. That's great. That's great. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's move on to the playlist. But before we do, I want to thank our other sponsor, uh, Five Four Club. You've heard me talk about Five Four Club on the show before. It really is the solution to the problem that I have, which is I don't like shopping for clothes. I really don't. I like looking nice. I like being stylish, but I hate the process of going to the mall and wandering around and trying stuff on and decide, oh, it's so expensive and, uh, 5-4 Club solves that problem by having really stylish, cool clothes. It's a contemporary apparel bl- brand, which he said effortlessly, uh, based out of Los Angeles. It was founded in 2002. And uh, these are really cool, stylish clothes that are put together by your own stylist. So, what what happens is you sign up for 5-4 Club, and then you select your profile. It's like t-shirt and jeans, dress to impress, or business casual, and then a stylist will select clothes based on your style profile and send you out heavily discounted clothes. It's really cool. You get $120 or more worth of clothing for just 60 bucks a month. They're really stylish. I will tell you a honest-to-God story that happened today. My sister is in town. My sister and my mom came into town to watch the, the play I've been doing. And uh, this morning, I got up and put on uh, the pants that I got from 5-4 Club. And my sister walks in and goes, oh, those are cool. And I was like, dang it, Courtney. I'm going to have to now tell this story on my show because I'm about to go record my show. And you just un unrequested, you just... Complimented my pants. Uh, so the this is uh stuff that people find cool. My wife has has dug the clothes that I've gotten from Five Four Club, it's great, and you get a special $20 off. If you go to get54.com, that's G E T F I V E F O U R.com. We're gonna give you 20 bucks off by using our promo code DLC20OFF, DLC20 off put that in your first month you get your 60 bucks is actually 40 bucks and it still gets you all this cool clothes check it out sign up solve the problem don't have to go and uh buy clothes anymore they just come to your door it's great it is great 5floor. excuse me get54.com offer code DLC20OFF okay now it's time for the playlist
2: Ooh, The playlist.
0: playlist is where we talk about the games that we've been playing uh jeff i know that you got uh, some early hands-on with evolve which comes out well, either today or tomorrow uh we'll be yeah. talking about that a lot next week but what what is your take on evolve
2: oh uh, that's yes uh well yeah have you guys played have you played the beta or alpha at all a little bit yes. or i know it's okay cool yeah so evolve you know the reviews have hit so i think i can speak a little more freely about it um Yeah, you know, Evolve is a game that at E3 last year captured everyone's attention. It was, you know, game of the show, all the critics that, you know, I uh, I run that group that uh, votes on best of show at one best of show. And -hmm. I think, you know, there's something really kind of, uh, really kind of different about that game, right? The premise of sort of a, you know, 4v1 hunt, I think is naturally something that people get really excited about. And it's interesting, like I was watching Better Call Saul last night and they had this, have you seen the live action Evolve commercial? No. Yeah, no. it's just it's really crazy. It was in Better Call Saul last night, which is kind of strange, but it was um, you know, it's like ready or not, here I come. And it's like it's uh, you know, this sort of four friends versus one friend. And that dynamic is really, really exciting. Um I've been playing Evolve and I think the thing that, you know, I, I, I like about it is the is the teamwork. I think but I think it's a game that really depends on you playing with your friends. Um, mm-hmm. and I've sort of had some opportunities to play with friends and I think it really works well when, especially if you're the hunters, if you're sort of working with people that, you know, but I think it falls apart a little bit when you're sort of just playing with random people on the internet, um, mm-hmm. around it. Cause it's a game that really does require a lot of coordination. Um, and I do feel it's, I don't know if do you guys have a favorite on which side to play, but, um, I mean, I, I tend to have more fun, I think on the, the hunter side. Um, yeah. but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a game that I think, shows promise and kind of where it can go. I'm not a full believer in the sort of, you know, they're pushing it as an eSport. I I think eSports sort of have to naturally evolve out of some of these games um, versus sort of be a real focus of it. Um, But yeah, I I think I'm having fun with it and it helps that, you know, it's, it's coming out at a time when there's really nothing else out there. It's really been, you know, dying light and that, um, Mm -hmm. which I I don't, we should talk in a second. I don't know if you guys have played dying light yet, but yeah. uh, Yeah. So I'm, I'm encouraged. I thought the beta did a really good job with a lot of the tutorials sort of onboarding people to it. Um, you know, it, I'll be interested to see sort of how, how long it sticks with people and is it something that people keep going back to? It. I know they've got a pretty aggressive DLC plan, um, which I know is somewhat controversial in terms of some of the content that's coming out for it. So I'm having fun with it. I don't know if it's the kind of game that's going to stick with people for months and months and months. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a cool concept. Of you know, co-op is obviously a big trend now. I think you're going to see more games with co-op. I like that it's a bit of a twist and focuses on multiplayer. But what's uh, I know you guys are going to talk about it next week. But what's what was your initial impression of it? Are you guys, yeah, into
0: it? I'm. Uh, you know, I played a bunch of it at, at events and uh, and played you know played the beta. I, I tend to agree with you that. Initially, the sort of hook of the game is you get to play as this giant monster. That's different and unique and really cool, and you're going to take down four people on one. But I found myself much prefer- much preferring, as you did, to play the hunter side because it's it's just inherently more fun to be like, yeah, we did it, and then the one guy's like, yeah, I I guess I I didn't do it, you know, the the, the one yeah. solo guy either succeeds or doesn't, and yeah, you do feel empowered and and cool but when you've got four people surrounding you trapping you uh it's just not as cool as when you know i'm shooting down a heel for my buddy who just laid a trap uh you know and and a third guy is you know scouted the area with his you know uav and all that stuff all that stuff i think is much more fun as you said cooperatively and and as this big group uh mission, and then the one poor guy on the other side trying to survive. Um, yeah, it's a and, little
2: lonely, and that's seems yeah. like actually at, at trade shows, they did a really good job, because sort of everyone was together, and I think it's kind of fun when you're in a group, and it's like, you know, the four people and you, and you're sort of, you know, you can get a sense of where the other guy is, and feel the tension, but when you're at home by yourself, um, just playing, it's a little lonely, I think, being the monster. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've been playing so much, uh, Heroes of the Storm. I can't mm-hmm. really complain about doing the same thing over and over because I literally have been playing round after round after round of that game. But for some reason, Evolve does feel like round after round after round of the same thing. And I, I got, maybe it's just first person shooters are, are kind of on the decline in my, my, uh, obsession level. Uh, but it just felt a little bit repetitive. I'm, I'm anxious to get more hands-on of the final build this week and, and really get into the general population of online play with it to see, to see if it can hook me better. But, um, Christian, this doesn't seem like a game you would be super excited about, or am I wrong?
1: No, I mean, I spent a lot of time with the beta and I love the idea that it's a new, you know, um, they're trying a new concept with this game, right? Where you've seen uh, Pac-Man Versus or even Four Swords, Zelda Four Swords, and other things have done this. The, the new Fable game, I think, is somewhat similar to to what this is trying to do. With This ain't sync, not asynchronous. Well, I guess it is. Whatever. You know, this m- new take on competitive and cooperative multiplayer. I almost feel, though, and I think you mentioning Heroes of the Storm, for me, I, I feel like these types of games almost work better with simpler graphics. And I think for some reason... Oh, I because disagree. This, Go ahead. Really, I think this game looks like, you know, like a Gears or that over-the-top, realistic, bloody, whatever. And I, I think a game like, is it Overwatch? All these one-word generic names I lose track of. Or Team Fortress 2 type of graphical approach for this. You're getting in, you're getting out, you're doing the same thing over again. It's really the key of this game is teamwork and using those skills and working together and laying your traps and then the monster evading for some reason in this game when it's this big gross wet world <laughs> i don't like it as much
0: uh it's interesting some of the comments that we've got in the chat here uh trojan says i think the game's longevity really hinges on whether or not the game is fun with randoms and m gomez says that he thinks it's going to suffer from titanfall syndrome no community after two or three months so it's interesting that people are uh, kind of pessimistic about it. Um I don't know, it it certainly wows on the first few playthroughs. It's a, as as we've been saying, it's a novel concept. It's fun right away. I just don't know longevity-wise. I think I agree with some of the commenters here that I don't know if it's going to
2: stand the test. But, but no more. one is talking
1: hard. about this at the end of the year no one will be talking about this game well and
2: it's sort of like you know t- it's similar to Titanfall last year right which was you know sort of very, you know, a lot of excitement in the beta game came out and I think people had fun with it it just as you said eh, Christian it was sort of forgotten at the end of the year I mean it got a couple nominations but it wasn't game of the year I worry that Evolved you know may not have um, the longevity there but we'll see I mean I think it really comes down to now games like that it's like do publishers treat them as a platform? And it's right. like, is there new content? How do they keep you know improving it? Um, and you know, move away from the idea of it. You know, only being fun for a month. It's like, how are they going to upgrade it? How are they going to change it? And it's like, you know, the new monsters and new environments. Um, and you know, Christian, your idea is interesting. I mean, do they change the art? You know, is there an art pack that changes the world in some way? I I like the realism of it. Um, I agree with you. It very much does look like a Gears of War. Um, but you know, that's an itch that hasn't been scratched in a while. Um, in sort of, you know, that shooter genre. Um, and do, yes, do you think, I mean, sorry, sorry. go ahead. You no, know, no. Yeah. I was just going to say that I think absolutely overwatch and team fortress are valid, but you know, those are like, that's a very deliberate look for those kind of games. And I don't know, like a cell shaded version of that. I don't know if it would be as fun. Do you think that, uh, in, in the case of evolve
0: and, uh, and Titanfall as well, that, those games would benefit from a single-player campaign? Do you think that they were hurt by not having that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say because I think, you know, uh, as much as everyone plays a lot of multiplayer, I think we still love a great single-player experience, at least to immerse you in a world Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even like you think of Evolve, I mean, is, is that, you know, is there a really cool co-op campaign where it's like the monster is fully, you know, AI driven, but it's a really rich story. And, you know, Evolve has some sort of, you know, campaign like modes, um, to it, but you know, the traditional, like big blockbuster, you know, Call of Duty style campaign. Um, I think there's a yearning for it. It's just really hard, you know, it's really expensive, um, for companies to do that. And I think what, I think, I think what Titanfall showed is that if you're going to charge $60 for a game and, you know, go through sort of the traditional distribution pass, there's an expectation that you're sort of going to deliver all, check all the boxes. Um, but you know, I, I said this, even with destiny, I still feel they would have been better off to have destiny be like a beta, which they did in the summer, which got a good response and then slowly kind of ramp it up with new content. And, you know, maybe then I don't know if it's a subscription or it's sort of content or free to play content packs. Um, gone with a different business model than this whole idea of like, I'm going to go out, spend 60 bucks at GameStop, buy the disc, take it home, and start playing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we're all in a, the mentality has been set up that when you do that, you're really expecting a certain kind of game. And yeah, if you like the world, if you like the type of gameplay, you know, you may just want to play by yourself. And I think Evolve, especially because it does require a lot of teamwork, sometimes it's like if you play with, as someone says, randoms, It's, uh, you know, it's not as much fun. And, you know, if you've got four buddies that all want to play together, that's great. But, you know, we don't all have four friends that are all online at the same time, ready to play, um, you know, a game in front of your TV. And it's like someone like me, like I travel as much as I do. I'm always out there. It's it's tough. And it's like when I find, you know, at 10 a.m. on Saturday ready to play, it doesn't mean all my friends are ready to play at the same time. You literally have to set an appointment, I think, to play that game.
0: Yeah. And the, you know, the comparison people obviously are making a lot is uh, left for dead. And I, I think that even left for dead feels more story based than evolve in the sense that it, when you jumped into a game of left for dead, you felt like you were playing an episode of something. There was this progression from start to finish, this be- <laughs> beginning, middle and end. And even, even if it was repeating those episodes over and over, at least it felt like you were inside a narrative structure. Whereas evolve, at least the the stuff that I've played uh in, you know, before launch, it very much more feels like a, a round of tag, or as you were talking about the commercial saying of hide and go seek or whatever, Um much less structured behind any sort of narrative. And I kind of feel like that's more significant than people are making it out to be that, that feeling like you're inside something and invested in that world. And I, I know in the case of Titanfall, I very much was, wanted to be more invested in that world because it looked so cool and it seemed so cool and the the idea of these this company that makes mechs and all that stuff, it just was a layer that was sort of flimsy and didn't really matter, but I wanted it to matter. I don't know.
1: I, I feel like it's this whole uh, danged if you do, you know, danged if you don't approach to it where A game like The Order, which I have not um, seen, you know, I I guess it's gold, but I have not seen a finished build. This is just on previews and others' impressions, but, you know, oh, it's going to be five hours long, and it's super linear, and, oh, Uncharted 1, it was just single player and super linear, and people bemoan that and hate on it, and then, oh, Evolve is just multiplayer rounds. Oh, it's awful. Oh, why'd they add multiplayer to Tomb Raider? That's not what Tomb Raider is about. Multiplayer in The Last of Us? Dumb. Oh, it's just single. It's like, wow. And... Making games is tough. I don't know how you make a game that people are excited about where they're like, this is the perfect. Ba- Maybe- is it? Is it Call of Duty? Is Call of Duty game of the year every year, honestly? Because they have that bombastic single player campaign and that multiplayer campaign that keeps people playing forever and ever and ever. Because everything else, it seems like nothing is right about it, right? I mean, Evolve, we need a single player. That's what we need. But then why'd they tack multiplayer onto it? What a, it stinks. It's awful. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is.
0: No, Christian, we've established that game of the year for thirty years in a row now
1: is Tetris. We've established <laughs> that <laughs> until Ubisoft makes it and it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, what is on your playlist, Christian? So I I, I teased this. Why didn't it tease it? Uh, Club Nintendo is is soon to be R I P. And I spent uh, my points. I was a mm. platinum member, and I dove all my points into um, 3DS eShop games, and what I've been playing the most of is Super Mario Land 2, colon, six golden coins, Nintendo proving that they were bad at naming things (laughs) even as early as 91, and it's a GBA game, the second Super Mario Land, side-scroller, and it's great, I played this game when I was little, and I loved it, and I love it now, it has... Um, bunny ears is the unique suit for this game. You fireball, mushroom, bunny ears. And it has a a twist on this typical gameplay where if you die, well, one, getting 100 coins doesn't get you um, a, a new life automatically. Each 100 coins, you're then able to go to the casino. I think it's called the casino, kind of by your home hub, and play to get extra lives. But otherwise, you don't just automatically get new lives. And if you die, if you run out of your lives, You lose whatever of the six golden coins that, you know, each boss gives you a coin. You lose those, and you have to go get them again. You don't have to play every level leading up to the boss. You're able just to go to that boss fight to get the coin. But it was replaying it and experiencing that. I was like, this is such an interesting take that Nintendo moved away from. And I think what this game shows me the most is Nintendo has been making the same game now for so long in terms of new Super Mario Bros. 2. And I just, I don't know how they can innovate on it and and change it and make it feel fresh, but I feel like this game coming out on the Game Boy, I believe it was 91, I could be wrong, but this game coming out on the Game Boy with new suits, it feels the same, but subtle tweaks to the gameplay and the progression was such a further innovation for that series than what they're doing now. And I think if you haven't played this game and you have a 3DS lying around, pick it up just from the, the game development school study approach of seeing they were introducing Jello worlds, ice worlds, all those things, and then new approaches that I feel like have largely been ignored in that 2D Mario world. And man, what, what a great game. What a great fundamental game and here it is on a four by three, crappy little two color monochrome screen. But I think yeah, I think
0: you're demonstrably wrong about the fact that they don't innovate and don't add new crazy weird levels. I mean, every new Mario, as as much as they are, uh, they may be treading similar ground as far as you know being a two D side scroller. Every new one has crazy wild uh, levels, and I think that's what's the magic of of that franchise is that every new iteration.
1: What was the last one you really played? Not to call you. Well, no, yeah, to call you out. What was the last one you really played?
0: Uh, the uh, what, the the Wii U one. Uh, what's it called? I don't know what they even what they're freaking
1: called we, anymore. Do you new think Super Mario Bros. Wii U?
2: Yeah, yeah New yeah. Super <laughs> Mario Bros. Wii U. I
1: played a ton of that. They name it what it is on the console it's on. That's their naming. There you go. Uh, but now right. it needs to be new, new Super Mario Bros. for the new Nintendo 3ds. New and 3D world. Can, 3D world well, is no, no, no. wildly innovative. The, the 3D games, I'm not. The 3D games, Galaxy, 3D World, Mario 64, are their own beast. And those, I think they have continued to innovate. And I don't know. Maybe you can't innovate in a 2D world the same way, but I, I don't think that's true either. Because the things that the Rayman games have done over the course of their progression is is wildly different. Or looking at the way the Mega Man games have evolved, or what Shovel Knight took from all of those games and created this awesome new experience that felt familiar yet fresh, where I would argue that since the first New Super Mario Brothers, which added the Mini Mario and the big polygonal Mario, I don't think those games have really blown your mind with level design and or world types. Fire, ice, you know, whatever, whatever, where you're like, oh, now we're in it. This is dope. And I I feel like that's kind of become their B-team, and they have great jumping ability, and they just kind of rely on that. And it's sad because I think for me, in my opinion... Going back and playing this old Game Boy game, I'm just like, wow, I'm blown away. Or go back and play Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo, the cape, and amazing, Yoshi. And just, it fundamentally changed those games, and I think they've shied away from doing that. And it it gets me a little, it's tough, right? I'm disappointed because they've done so much awesome. I'm a jerk. (laughs) It's like they've done so many incredible things that when they don't continue to be the most incredible I'm giving them a hard time. I realize the hypocrisy in that, but still, wow, they were killing it back in the day. I, I now you, the,
2: can, you can you can make your new uh, your new Mario levels in that uh, Mario Maker now.
1: There you go, make oh, the yeah. ultimate game. Fifty you years Spicer. You do not want to play. No, Jeff. I I say a problem with your game awards, and I have no solution for it. And then I say a problem <laughs> with the Mario games, and I have no solution for it. I'm just here to ramble and offer no real help. <laughs> well, as usual. Um, interesting. Interesting. I don't
0: know. I think the big innovation in the last, uh, you know, Mario Brothers Wii U uh, was co-op really was was creating having four players on the screen at the same time chaos. I think that was where they were kind of going with that. And maybe there was a little less level innovation just to sort of create a the ability to even have that amount of zany, wacky number of players on the screen at the same time. I don't know. just a theory. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the game that, uh, took me by surprise this week. It actually took everybody by surprise because Ubisoft announced Grow Home and then it did a sort of Beyonce drop where two weeks later it was up in the store for purchase. Eight bucks. I played Grow Home in one sitting. It was about, I don't know, two or three hours of, of playtime. I loved this game. It is so charming and so wonderful. Highly recommend it. $8, very well spent. Um, I got to the quote-unquote end. There is much more of the game to play after you get to the end. I don't know if I will. You know, they show you the credits and I think there's some sort of weird psychological trigger in me that says I'm done with this game now, even though there's still lots more to play and I may go back to it. Basically, the conceit is this. You play as a little uh, polygonal robot in a little polygonal world that's colorful and vibrant and he sort of dropped from space onto this crazy plant planet with floating rocks everywhere and told to do two things, collect energy crystals to power himself up and help harvest a seed from this plant by making it grow to a certain height. And the way you make it grow to a certain height is you connect the plant to different rocks in the environment to sort of both build the plant up higher and get higher and higher in the environment and really create the platforming for yourself. So this is a game that has no violence in it. Um, and there's only danger at a very late part in the game. And, and once the danger happens in this game, it's actually quite shocking because you've been sort of safe throughout the entire playthrough. All of a sudden there's this thing that can kill you. It's like, Whoa, that was weird. Um, But it's a, it's proof that exploration and sort of freeform gameplay can be just as compelling as running around and capping fools, uh, in a shooter. And it's so charming, evidently done by a, a very small B team at Ubisoft. You're finding ways to climb in this environment. You're, you're to trigger Buttons. I played it on PC, but it even recommends using a controller there. Your two trigger buttons control the grips on either hand on the robot, and you are climbing through this environment. You can climb on anything, climb anywhere, hold on to anything. There's really no limits at all in the game. And then you're jumping, and as you find crystals and power up your your robot more, he gets additional abilities that sort of mitigate some of the difficulties in getting around uh, by climbing. It's all procedurally generated animation, which is a little clunky at times. Sometimes the robot, uh, you know, does this bizarre breakdancing move trying to do go from place to place, and it's a little jarring, but ultimately fine. And it, I think it, is, it reinforces the idea that allowing complete freedom in a game is extremely fun. And you get to build this this plant up however you want. Basically, it'll it'll have these little nodes. And if you grab on with your little robot hands onto these little plant nodes and press X, they'll start growing. And then you ride this node as it grows through the environment. And it's almost like riding a bucking bronco. You're trying to hold on and steer it and it wants to go a certain way and you're trying to steer it a certain other way to try to get from place to place. And you are Very in a very real way, constructing the environment that you are going to be climbing through as you play it. So if I bend the the plant off into one direction and then it pops out three or four new nodes, I can bend those off in another direction and pop out even more nodes. It really doesn't put any limits on you, which is what makes it so fun because you can create these weird tangled vines that you're going to be climbing on and jumping from place to place. And I found myself like leaping and making these wild leaps of faith to to jump uh, from a, a rock onto a, a vine that I grew and then grabbing on at the last second. And there's all this wonderful discovery, like the first time you find a cave in one of the rocks and you're going inside now. It's like, it's so magical and so fun and such a simple concept, well worth $8. Uh, I recommend it to anybody. I, I had a, a great, great time with Grow Home.
2: Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Jeff, was it reminded, I haven't played it yet because it's on, only on PC and I'm uh, traveling with my MacBook, but uh, how does it, comp- do you ever play Tearaway from Media Molecule? Yes, yes, uh, yeah, a does lot it of it. Remi- it, it re- yeah, it reminded me a little bit of that, having looked at the videos and stuff. Is there any comparison to Tearaway or no? Yeah, there's some. I think Tearaway is much more structured, right? Like mm-hmm. the the designers of
0: Tearaway designed a level and you interact with it in certain ways and there's a way to get from point a to point b in their level and i think what's so magical about grow home is that they just set up this crazy uh this crazy floating rock constellation for lack of a better word and you are free to connect those rocks however you want um and really there's no end to the new nodes you're going to get. So it's not like, well, I only have three nodes to get to that guy. It's like, you just keep creating it and keep creating this bizarre interlocking system of branches and then jumping from place to place and finding new things. And, Oh my gosh, underneath there is a, is a energy crystal and I can find it. It rather than in Tearaway and most platformers where it feels like, Oh, this level was designed and there's a secret and there's a specific way to get to that secret. And you know, I'm going from a to B.
1: Is there an end game?
0: There, there is an end game. Like I said, there's a way to see the credits, and then after the credits, there's a way to to keep playing. But there is a very, you're you're basically taking the seed to a a spaceship, and at the end, you grow this planet so tall that it reaches the the spaceship. Got
1: it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: Uh, the only complaints that I had, I wish there was a better mapping system because I, I would <laughs> grow my plant so wa- crazily that I ended up sort of being disoriented at times. And there you can pull up this mini map, but it doesn't show where you've grown the vines. Uh, I wish it did. Um and other than that it, it's just really joyous. The graphics are simplistic but kind of beautiful in their own way. There there's a moment where like you get to a sunset happening and it's this kind of simple polygonal world but even the sunset is really beautiful and and it also has that thing that I love when I talked um last year about um a story about my uncle. It it has that wonderful sense of casting yourself off into the universe, you know, it, this guy, this little robot bud, he can He'll get, like, a flower. He can pick a flower, and then he'll coast on that flower as well, sort of like uh, Link in Wind Waker. Um, so, you can, like, jump off of something and try to get to the next uh, area, the next little floating rock, and then at the last second, pull out your flower and coast. So, I found myself just trying things because there really wasn't any penalty for, for not doing that. So, I just did it which would jump off into the wild blue yonder which is a wonderfully freeing sense of exploration it's just a charming charming
1: experience so i i think to some extent maybe i can articulate it better now this is almost what i want from a game like evolve where i was talking about simplistic graphics where i've talked about before how i'm a fan of art direction over realism and what evolve is bringing to the table is a new gameplay mechanic or style of competitive slash cooperative multiplayer and i feel like we're in the world now of early access or here's this new concept here's this game we, we announced that it came out two weeks later now go play it where if evolved they didn't dump in whatever their budget was 100 million 80 million whatever into making this huge thing and it was just oh man this team at turtle rock came up with this idea for this awesome game and we're going to get it out to you and it's 20 bucks and it's this world and the the hook is you interacting with your friends and cooperating with each other to keep this big monster and then you get that and you're playing it and it's just it is just an arena so why make it look like a a swamp and then once you get into that and you love it and then I think it gets into the esports type thing like you were saying Jeff, where they're, I mean, Evolve is really trying to be an eSport game, and then you come in with other maps. I just feel like that style of game now has moved away from the $60 release, and I just would have loved to have seen, when you have this new awesome gameplay concept, get it out, get people playing it, get people having fun with it, and then iterate on it, and I think that's how you make a game a platform now, versus $60, and then, oof, as mentioned earlier, too, the, the DLC plans they have for Evolve, it doesn't make make me want to spend 60 bucks on it (laughs) to then dive into it. So I think that's what I want. Like simple, make the graphics cool, make it a great art style and then get me playing this awesome thing. Like grow home where I have this cool concept and I'm having fun with it and exploring it. And I don't feel like I went and bought metal gear five.
0: Well, it's clearly not the game they were trying to make with evolve, right? They, they set out to make a triple a high tier title and I'm sure the team on it was much larger than the what nine people that were making grow home. Um, yeah, I think it's just you're kind of comparing apples to oranges a little bit in that situation. You know, I yeah, know.
1: both are fruits. I prefer the juice of an orange. I like the texture <laughs> of an apple. It's easy to do. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, anything else you guys are playing,
2: or, or should we move on? Good. Um, good Those are the big ones, I think. I mean, there's, you know, Dying Light is the only game that I haven't jumped into yet, which seems to be getting pretty solid reactions. Have either of you guys played it?
0: Yeah, we talked a lot about it last week. Uh, Both of us, I think, um, you know, we, we both, I think, respected it and appreciated it more than we liked it. Is that fair, Christian? Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the world building is really strong and the, the level of immersion of that world and some of the things they were, were trying were, were really, really cool. And I appreciated them. I think, as I said last week, I think 90% of my complaints with that game would be fixed if I could just pop into third person. It's just mm-hmm. such a difficult thing to pull off that parkour-y stuff yep. in first person. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just. So I agree. And
2: that's why I wonder with, uh, you know, Mirror's Edge is coming back or EATs that a couple of years ago. I assume it's still in production, but yeah, you're right. There's an inherent challenge with first person parkour, which is a really cool concept, but uh, it is a little jarring. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And kudos for them doing as good a job with it as they do. It's just like, yeah, when I'm, my face is slammed up against the wall and I'm seeing myself scamper up, I, I, it feels claustrophobic. It it just feels disorienting and, and odd. Um, but, but still uh, a very high quality game. I would say in a lot of respects, um, all right, let's, uh, carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. All right, uh, we're gonna talk
2: a little bit of board games. Jeff, do you play any board games? I am not a big board game guy, so I'm gonna listen here attentively and, uh, hear <laughs> which games I should be playing. Sounds good. Uh, Christian
0: actually played a game with the, me this week. I finally, Pulled out, uh, my, my wedding present from Christian. We played, uh, X-Wing miniatures game from Fantasy Flight Games. And, uh, man, is this, uh, a cool product. It, it, first of all, just having miniature, high quality versions of the Star Wars vehicles. Uh, the starter pack, which is what we played, um, comes with two TIE fighters and an X-Wing fighter. And they have many, many, many add-ons that you can buy, all the way up to, like, gigantic Karelian class stuff and uh, the Millennium Falcon, obviously. And everything is sort of um, uh, proportionally correct. Like, it's all, you know, a, a certain size. So the bigger ships are actually bigger. Uh, really, really cool. And the way you play this game is a two-player game, or at least the way we played it was a two-player game. Uh, and it's asymmetrical. So one player is playing the single... Uh, the single X-Wing and the other players playing both of the TIE Fighters. So the TIE Fighters are a little underpowered when compared to the X-Wing, but there's two of them. So you can have a kind of completely different strategy. And uh it's really neat. It, it plays without the use of any kind of board or map. It's free form on whatever table you're playing on. And the game comes with all these little measuring devices that let you know where you're, where you're flying to when you, when you do your turn. So there's three phases of the game. There's this uh, planning phase where both players play, uh, figure out how they're going to fly their ships before revealing to the other, what they're going to do. And then they reveal that and move that in in that manner on the table. So you're kind of flying around free form. There's no hex grid or, you know, square places to move. And you, which really creates this cool sense of dog fighting, Uh, and then based on where you end up after that phase, you have this cone of where your weapons can reach and hopefully you've managed to position yourself behind someone or in front of someone so that you can shoot them in the attack phase. And then you have all these different ways to use weapons and roll dice to try to defend against, uh, the weapons that are shooting at you. Um, I was really, really impressed with it. I hadn't played it before now and I'd been wanting to play it for a long time because a lot of people had been... Telling me about it, but you know, it's just this rabbit hole of buying more and more of these ships that I now think that I'm gonna fall down because I had such fun. Christian, what was your take?
1: Yeah, it was really fun. I, I played as the Empire. I had my TIE fighters, and man, did I screw the pooch big time. I I split out wide to try to flank and divide and conquer, and you took a few pot shots at me early. I was expecting that. And uh, my decoy ship, you downed fairly easily as I moved my more powerful tie into position to take you out. One, uh, I also am apparently the worst roller in the history of rolling. I proved that <laughs> when we played XCOM at the now defunct joystick with Zav, and I proved that many other games when we have played together, Jeff. I, uh, I do. I am a cooler uh, <laughs> in Vegas. Let me roll your <laughs> dice for you, and I ended up losing on a by rolling no, no blocks at all in my last roll, but then. Uh, I split wide, you took out my little decoy, I moved into position, got one shot on you, I was ready to take you down and kill you, we were in a a standoff, right at each other, gunning, guns blazing, we each had one move to make, and it was going to be win or die, like if I picked wrong and you picked wrong, that person was going to win it, and man, did I pick wrong, I thought <laughs> I knew what you were going to do, I swung out right, wide, anticipating to then be behind you, and just giggle and, and take you down, and you just moved right into me, and wiped me out. It was really, I mean, it, it stunk because I lost and I hate you as a person. But like in terms <laughs> of like the dog fight, it was awesome, right? It was like the flying around, swooping around on 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 the map or whatever in the world. And then that anticipation in that, okay, I got a bogey on my six. What do I do? It was really, really cool. And that emergent gameplay where that same game will never happen again in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it had this really, really satisfying ending, as you, as you described, uh, where we were, we were in that, like, showdown at the OK Corral, where both had flown around, flown around, flown around, and then we got ourselves in this position where we were, like, staring each other down, flying straight at one another, and it was like, okay, what are we gonna do? Is one person gonna accelerate and fly past the other person? Is one per- person gonna turn? And it's like, we gotta make that guess, we gotta make that guess and see what happens, and I just happened to guess right by, like, stopping all the way and letting you maneuver in front of me. And so you turned and weren't able to shoot at me. And I had you dead in my sights. It was just, it's just so much fun. And man, does it really convey that sense of dogfighting in the star Wars universe? And you can collect these cards. Like I had an R2 unit and you had, you know, certain abilities that were based on the empire. It It's so thematic. The pieces themselves are so high quality, as is always the case with fantasy flight games. And it's, I am afraid of how much money I'm going to spend on this now uh, because now I want all the, all the ships, all the ships. Oh, yeah. and, uh, uh, Acorn, uh, Mayho in, uh, or excuse me, Acorn Aho in the chat here is pointing out that, uh, the D and D version of this with dragons dog fighting, not only is coming soon or maybe even already out, but is also compatible. So you can have dragons versus X wings, which is, you know, the fan fiction I've been writing for years. <laughs> uh awesome all right guys well let's uh let's wrap up this episode it's been a, a very good one jeff so awesome for you to join
2: us i really appreciate you being here yeah no thanks guys it was tons of fun and uh appreciate uh the conversation and uh, i think it's gonna be a should be a good year for gaming it's 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 a little slow this spring so hopefully we'll find some more hidden gems like grow home um out there yeah. Uh, why don't you tell the people where they can see your stuff uh, right now if they want to follow you? Yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter at Jeff Keely, uh hit uh you know hit me on on Facebook, uh Twitter, Instagram and and follow me uh getting ready for E3 obviously which will be big and uh doing a couple more uh my final hours uh iPad apps this year as well. So uh stay tuned awesome. for those including one on a little game called No Man's Sky that I'm excited Ooh,
0: about. Ooh, very exciting. Yeah, those are so great. I neglected to mention that at the top of the show. I thoroughly enjoy the, the really deep dive journalism and uh the uh, the cool app delivery method that really makes them fun and sort of um, you know nonlinear in a lot of ways. Really, lots of extra media there. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, more more coming soon. Christian, what about you? What do you got going on this week?
1: Man, this is uh, slow slow on games, big on things. Christian wants to mention I do a another podcast um, on the all things comedy network, which is Bill Burr's comedy network uh, podcast network. It's called uh, Bitchin. And it's with Dean Del Rey, who you might know from um, Mark Marin's TV show or the metal shows he's done. And it's Thursdays at noon, similar to this, where it's live um, on All Things Comedy with a phone number. You can call in. And, and we really have structured the show to be about whatever people want to talk about. You call in. You dictate the show. We chat with you. And then it goes where it goes. And so if you want to see when we're, it's Thursdays at noon Pacific time and follow uh, I'm on Twitter at Spicer and we... Tweet out the number, or you can find it on all things comedy. Um, I'm going to be in North Carolina this weekend at the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival doing stand-up, and I'm bringing uh, my show Improv versus Stand-Up back out there again. Maria Bamford will be there. It's going to be an awesome weekend of comedy in North Carolina. Um, and then, Jeff, we, I, I, we're doing it. Uh, You're doing it. Group, we launched our—we started YouTube— videos it's called punch club youtube.com slash punch club sketch we have new videos every wednesday we've had three so far and we're putting up our first live show february 20th and i talked to you and it didn't take much talking but you and anthony carboni are going to do the first little version of a live we have concerns uh on that show yeah Yeah, we're going
0: to do a do a live we have concerns so people should check that out and the coolest thing about that show is the tickets are free
1: it's free it's february 20th at 7 p.m at the nerdist theater in los angeles and uh justin Wilman, who has a comedy central show coming out is going to be there amber preston who's another she was on wtf with mark Marin, and then you and anthony doing uh a, a we have concerns i was chatting with anthony and he he said that you guys were maybe going to get weird which uh those are my favorite <laughs> we have concerns episodes, so i hope you do we're gonna get weird <laughs> that's what he said always, he said it might be a really weird. weird topic so i'm i'm, I'm oh. on board
0: all right. Uh, he knows more than I do, evidently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, check that out February 20th. And if you're not listening to We Have Concerns, check that show out too. We is where we do the comedy. Uh, 20 minutes per episode, three times a week. It's lots of fun. Uh, also check out the slash filmcast where we review movies over at filmcast.com. That's going to do it for this episode, but we won't leave without giving you a parting gift.
1: This is your party.
0: Jeff, do you have anything to recommend
2: that might not even fall in the world of video games? Uh, well, I, well, I watched uh, first episode of Better Call Saul last night, which was uh, which was really cool. Uh, yeah. Didn't know what to expect. Did you guys watch it? It's on my DVR, and and the second episode is happening
0: tonight. So back to back nights, exactly. Back to back nights.
2: But yeah, the thing that really struck me was the the cinematography <laughs> and the way they framed some of the shots. It was just like it was just beautiful. Uh, the way they put it together. And I didn't know whether it was going to be. A comedy or a drama, um, but it it struck a really interesting tone. It's a bit of a slow burn, uh, um, sort of the middle piece of the episode, but a really kind of interesting, um, a cool kind of surprise cameo from someone uh, in uh, you know Breaking Bad history. I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't watched it yet, but uh, yeah, I, I'm really kind of excited to see where it goes for uh, for episode two. But that was uh, that was last night, and I, I really dug it. Awesome.
1: How about you, Christian? You got a parting gift? Jumping on the TV train as well. I believe all the other seasons are free on Amazon Prime if you are an Amazon Prime member. But this, the final season of Justified, is into its third episode. Oh, and, so good! Uh, it's great. The stakes. Uh, Walter Goggin's character, who originally was written as just a small guest character for the first season, has they've continued to pay dividends with that character and that relationship. And um, I can't recommend Justified enough. It's awesome.
0: Did you call him Walter Goggins? It's Walton. What did I say? I think he said Walter, but I could be wrong. Uh, anyway, yes, a criminally underrated show justified. It's so, so good. Um, I wanted to mention, uh, as my parting gift, you know, we talked about the, uh, the sad demise of joystick.com and a lot of people on Twitter have sent me, um, interesting potential replacements. One that I did not know about before now and have found a lot of value in is called VG247. I'm sure it means video games 24-7. Uh, VG247.com I uh, I think might be my joystick replacement. So uh, good stuff, very clear, concise, not snarky. Dig it. So you guys might want to check that out. All right, that does it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Jeff Keeley and christian spicer thanks to the folks at five by five for making this possible thanks to all of you that hung out in the chat and everybody listening at home we appreciate you hanging out with us we'll see you next monday at 11 a.m pacific time and until then think about what you put out into the world make it a better place